Hey everyone, this is Connor. Before we get started, I just want to encourage you to check out our Patreon, patreon.com slash podsidepicnic. If you become a patron, you'll get access to multiple exclusive episodes every month. And you can also join our patrons-only Discord chat, where Pete and I talk informally with the Podside Picnic community. So if you like the show, go ahead and check us out at patreon.com slash podsidepicnic. Thanks. Welcome back. Welcome back, listeners. And who am I? What is this? Who is this disembodied voice you're hearing through your ears? Welcome back to Graveside Picnic. This is Carlo, returning from beyond uh, the other side of the microphone. And today I'm joined by none other than uh, returning champ, Maddie Lewis. Hi, Maddie. Hi, Carlo. Um, I'm uh, very stoked to be here, and I feel like I should have maybe apologized uh, a little more for what I I, I put you through, but uh, we'll get into it. (laughs) Oh, apologize for what? I mean, uh, we we can get into it, but but honestly, like there there's plenty to really enjoy here. Uh, And what we're going to be discussing today, folks, is some selected stories from Livia Llewellyn's uh, collection furnace um and uh livia llewellyn's been around for oof, a long time uh writing horror if i'm not mistaken um she but weirdly she's i i was just looking up her um her like wikipedia page and doesn't look like she's got a lot of like weirdly does not seem to have a lot of uh sort of like nominations i, I was sort of surprised by that given the sort of the strength of the writing in this um, she had, uh, been nominated for a Shirley Jackson award and, um, won a 2020 Edgar Allan Poe award for best short story, uh, called one of these nights. So weirdly, you know, like, uh, honestly, like after reading these, uh, Maddie, I, I, I started looking, I was like, that seems weird, <laughs> but I guess that's just the way it goes. Right. She was a she was a contender yeah. this this year for the Stokers too, if I'm not mistaken. Mm. Yeah, I haven't looked at the Stokers for this year, um, but I, I, I would should believe say, it. She should be. Yeah, I I should say uh, last year, like uh, this coming last year. year. Okay, this, yeah. yeah. Um, in any case, uh, so so. Uh, I know that uh, <laughs> mutual friend and friend of the pod, Ty Black, uh, had basically tipped you to Llewellyn's work. Um, and uh, you you went out and got this collection. Is, am I misremembering? Yeah, well, that? actually, um, yeah, we were, he had mentioned her work before, just kind of offhand. And, it, you know, it sounded interesting. Um, but then we were, um, a bunch of us were in, in Providence for Providence Necronomicon, and we were at the Lovecraft Arts and Sciences bookstore, and it was just right there on the featured books. And I was like, oh, I've been meaning to read this. Ty says it's really good. So that was where I picked it up. 
Yeah. Okay. Well, that's great. I mean, I, honestly, I've never seen her in like a Barnes and Noble or anything like that, um, which is a shame. But yeah, yeah, it, it's it's weird that um, again, like uh, given the strength of like the prose that she uses and whatnot in at least these three stories that we're going to discuss, uh, which are going to be uh, yours is the right to begin. The last clean, bright summer, and uh, lastly, end love shall have no dominion. And um, I would argue that all three of them have just very good prose. Um, I, I will say that was, one of. Th- I'm sorry. Go ahead. Oh, I was saying I, I was describing earlier um, to to another friend of the pod what the writing was like, and the comparison I made was. Um, if Angela Carter dropped acid and wrote weird horror <laughs> and I, I stand by that. I think that's pretty accurate. I could see that. Yeah, I could see that because it's, it definitely has like uh, a certain ornateness to it. Um, it's, I, it's, it's not, I mean, it's one of these things where if it, if it went slightly more in that direction, it could be accused of being purple prose, but it is absolutely not. It it really isn't. It, it's very straightforward uh, language. Uh, also, to your point, I think it's also very sensual. Uh, it has a lot of anxieties regarding, uh, like a, a lot of the stories have this undercurrent of, the you know the anxieties of having a body and desiring things and uh and and you know how that can get us into um, troubles yeah very very carter as as well um yeah it's very I, i would say it is uh like very um very bodily writing there's a lot of like visceral detail to this like it gets into like guts and just like all sorts of gnarly shit but in in a really interesting and kind of beautiful way Mm -hmm. it's it's a very hashtag aesthetic and i say that like not being super snarky i mean it it is very aesthetic um it's it's a more sensory experience reading it than most writing that i i read on the regular and Considering I actually actively seek out that kind of thing, like this is a high compliment because I read a lot that's in this sort of realm. And uh, this, uh, uh, the last book to actually like set my brain on fire as much as this was when I read The Bloody Chamber for the first time. It, <laughs> it was like kind of revelatory. I can see that, yeah. Right. So, um, yeah, I mean, so. Uh, do we want to just go in in that order and just discuss the stories uh, in in the I order? I think it's a good order to go in because uh, it's the order that they are uh, sequenced in the actual collection, um, and I also think uh, they have a nice level of uh, ascending fuck upness from like pretty fucked up in uh, yours is the right to begin to like, and again. This is coming from someone who, like, actually actively looks for this kind of stuff. A story that has the most deeply fucked vibes that I've ever read, maybe in my life. But it, it's like a top three. It's a very strong contender. <laughs> yeah, it, it, it's wild because it, it is... Um, it does... Uh, 
you know, like I came away reading this and going, wow, okay. But also it, it definitely has that feeling of this is going to sound mean, but it's not, it, it feels like uh, almost a fan fickiness of, you know, that, that it resides within sort of like these parts of Dracula that were never written, but are sort of left. Oh, are you, for are us you talking imagine. about the first, the first story? Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. yeah okay. Sorry. I, I got, got kind of sidetracked there. Yeah. No. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. I kind of, at first, when I realized, oh, this is a Dracula, I was fully ready to be like, okay, I'm going to like this, but I have a feeling it's not going to be the strongest one in the collection, and I was fucking wrong. Um, <laughs> honestly, because, it's like just so well-written. Yeah. It, it can't be the worst in the collection, because th- not that there's any that are, like... This is one of those collections where there is not a worse story, there is only a least good story, and that will probably vary person to person, from the fact that it was a, you know, it becomes very obvious. It mentions Mina in the first paragraph, and you're like, uh, Mina, it's got to be Mina Harker. Um, and uh, Van Helsing shortly after, I was like, oh, uh, everyone's done everything with Dracula. Really? Are we going here? But I was ready to, you know, give it, give it a shot because the prose is just incredible. And um, the story fucking slaps. It's really good. <laughs> mm hmm. Yeah, yeah, it it really does sort of capture a little bit of, like I said, like the the like the unexamined corners of that story, um, and you know it, it's it's Stoker, you know, like Mina Harker is not really well written because. Stoker wasn't really interested in writing about his women characters very well, you know. Or, or but the tragic you know, thing is, she's still a more interesting character in the in the original novel written by Stoker, who didn't seem to really care about women uh, one way or the other. Um, mm-hmm. In. 1897, and it still is a more interesting character. Mina is in the original novel than in almost any adaptation of Dracula. It's, it's, it's kind of sad. <laughs> well, I mean, I think that um, if we can digress briefly, I think one of the interesting aspects, if I'm remembering correctly, is that Stoker does tie Mina in <laughs> to the general themes of anxieties regarding modernity. Right. Uh, because Mina yeah, she knows in- the, she she's like knows all the shorthand and she's like kind of like interested in gadgets and everything. She's if, like yeah, like basically if, the one typing if I up remember a lot correctly, of things. Like w- some of the first words in her first entry uh, in in the in the book is that she is you know a new woman, and so therefore, like you said, she's she's cognizant, like she's a uh, sort of like living within the Victorian mores of the time period, um, especially for a sort of smack dab in the middle of what would be the middle class in London at the time. And so therefore even more aspirational and uh, careful and and sort of guarded in how uh, to be in the world. Right. But also 
she's expected to know how to use you know like uh, it's not a typewriter but whatever i i forget the name of the 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 device yeah the the thing that was like before a typewriter <laughs> yeah and so uh like she she has to sort of also be part of this new world which requires her to have a certain sort of independence and autonomy uh, that is frowned upon, but also absolutely needed. And so, you know, he does capture, I do think that he does capture that sort of um, living within two worlds. And that's a, a big theme that she then shares with, with Dracula himself. Right. So, um Yeah, definitely. Yeah, uh, but that is uh, Bram Stoker's work. Uh, Livia Llewellyn's work sort of takes the moment, uh, specifically the moment where uh, in the book uh, it's found out that Mina has sort of like become half, sort of half ingested or become enthralled to Dracula by, you know, like consuming his blood or whatever. And he does that as sort of like a power play to show that, you know, he can take, you know, th their women, you know, to, to more or less use a, a phrase that is pretty, you know, sort of like uh, possessive and whatnot. Right. Um, you know, like even Dracula doesn't really see Mina as a, as a woman herself. And in that moment, when Van Helsing is uh, sort of like using that bond against Dracula, where he hypnotizes her, that's where this story begins. And it's right in those moments where Van Helsing is sort of trying to also utilize Mina as sort of like a, a dowsing rod to find exactly where, you know, Dracula is as they're playing, you know, where in the world is Vlad Sepish? Right. But it's told from the, the point of view of uh, each of Dracula's wives. Um, they're the ones who are addressed and they're it's actually in second person and it's addressing Mina directly, which was uh, another thing that I was like, oh, boy, I don't know how I feel about this. But I, I just find second person is usually a little awkward to read. Um, however, in this, I think it works really well because it is. It's not like trying to pull a reveal or anything. It is immediately made clear that it is directed to Mina Harker. So you're reading what the wives are like thinking to her, saying to her, thinking about her rather than you being like you, the reader um, mm -hmm. or like some ambiguous character, character, which I appreciated because uh, second person is a hard sell for me just in general. But I thought the way that it was used here was really, really good immersive mm -hmm. and it's weird because i know a lot of the times they'll use second person and the the you is the reader or like a non-specified character and to me that just like kicks me out immediately but to be like hearing like almost someone like confessing about someone else mm -hmm. for whatever yeah, yeah. reason that worked much better to me well i think it 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 I mean, you can do the uh, sort of like you as the reader who are also part of the story. Uh, it can be done, but it, it, it's a it's a tricky thing, and and it can also be done badly, very easily. 
Uh, and, and as you say, I think it, it pops that bubble of dis, uh, like suspension of disbelief, right? Um, whereas here, it because you do have this focus of you are supposed to sort of uh, inhabit or embody Mina. Uh, Mina's the one being addressed here, and you're sort of listening in as like you know, like part of Mina's consciousness, if you will, if you wanted to you know go that far. Uh, I think it helps you as a reader focus and and sort of like say, well, you know, I'm not part of the story, so they're not talking directly to me. Yeah, I think that's that's what it kind of where where it works for me more is like I'm reading a story. I don't want to be in the story. If I want to be in the story, I'll play a video game. Um, so I, I enjoyed that about it. Um, it's. You were uh, recently on on Right Good uh, about with the, uh, our, our mutual friend uh, Raquel S. Benedict, and you had the your episode recently was on uh, stories that are plot or like no plot, all vibes. This is definitely an all vibes story. There's like sort of a hint of progression, but uh, for the most part, it's um, so the, it starts with the youngest of the wives, the third, and she kind of out like lays out her backstory, how she became a vampire and thrall to Dracula. Then it moves to the second, and she doesn't talk about herself as much. She talks about Mina and like what the future as one of Dracula's brides would look like for Mina. Um, and then you finally get to the first, and she's the oldest of the the wives, uh, talking again about how she found the the first or the the third, the youngest, and then how she found the second, and kind of uh, was the one really. So it's it's interesting because in this, she's the one to kind of turn the sisters, not Dracula. And it even says that at the end, it kind of reveals that she's the original first, not him. He's just usurped mm-hmm. her and, and forgotten that that's what he's done. And he calls himself her master, but she's not. He's not. Mm-hmm. Or she isn't. Yeah. And uh, it, she, it ends with the oldest wife, like kind of beckoning towards Mina to, to come and uh, like, be with her basically yeah yeah let let me uh, i i actually pulled up um because this was the part where it really got me um which is the the thirds uh sort of um a confession or or you know i'm not even sure exactly what you'd call this but she's sort of going over how she like before she was turned, you know, like that's the summer where she was still alive. Uh, and I, I wanted to read this because it's, it's really sort of like ominous and, and, and beautifully written. Um, so uh, let me see here. Hold on. So, okay. And above the ground, as the season ripened, we heard her silent song and we came too. 
Rumors of a mist, sparkling like crushed stained glass, swirling around dusky plums that couples stole and ate before they sunk into the grass, into each other, into the earth itself, their bodies found at daylight, hollowed and open-eyed, dry cavities packed with sticky stems and stones, young girls from neighboring farmlands wandering down roads in the early hours of the morning, covered in beads of dew, pale and feverish, their shaking fingers scratching at wounded necks as they asked which way was home, the words dribbling out of their split lips in slow crimson waterfalls. Mothers sleepwalking newborn babes into the fields, leaving them under the fruit trees like offerings, only days later to awaken in horror, unable to remember what they had done. Circle of cats and dogs, bloodless, beheaded, and neatly arranged on the grounds of a local church cemetery. In the center of each circle, a pink newborn's hand placed upright, a cold supplication, a decaying plea. Yeah, that uh, that particular paragraph is kind of where it really that's where it really made me set up too. Uh, it's the prose is very rich, but all of the imagery is so crisp and so clear. It's and and just like absolutely haunting, and the kind of progression of. This is one thing a lot of her stories do, like, really expertly, is they'll progress from, like, kind of fucked up, but sort of innocuous. So, like, the young girls just kind of wandering around and have been bitten at their necks and, like, not quite sure where they are. Like, that's ominous. That's not great. But it's not, like, the scariest thing ever. Then you go to the mothers leaving their babies under the trees and just, like, forgetting about it and not realizing it until days later. And then you figure what has become of the babies with the the hands and the the circle of cats and dogs. Just that Mm -hmm. kind of progression from like sort of uncanny to like full blown, like grotesque is Mm -hmm. really, really fascinating. And a lot of her stories do this in this collection is they'll start on kind of a it's 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 weird, but it's not like that weird. And then end to just something that's just like like very grotesque but still like a very compelling image at the same time and it's that that paragraph is like honestly a good microcosm for just how a lot of these stories are like paced how they set up and i think that's part of what gives them um like a, a propulsiveness despite not really having a lot of them uh, a very conventional like plot like there's not like a I mean, short stories are a little less bound, I think, by the the more conventional plot structures anyway. But, like, you're not going to find a lot of three-act structures or, like, try-fail sequences or any of the sort of action-y, plot-y stuff that you would find in a lot of other stories. It is very vibes-driven, but the progression of the vibes from uncanny to just outwardly, like, grotesque and horrifying and still beautiful is really what carries a lot you like carries the reader through a lot of these stories yeah i i totally agree i mean there there is there's a lushness to the description that at the same time is like uh the sentence uh the sentences and the words and how they 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 exist on the page is very beautiful to look at and and very sort of uh 
lyrical, but what it's describing at times is just so bleak and awful that, you know, it, 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 it really, even at a, at a sentence level can work because it does have that dissonance that's necessary for, for good horror to work. Right. Where, you know, she's describing something that is like, like we were just, you know, mentioning it's sort of like, um, structured in a way that goes from the uncanny to the grotesque and uh each time it's more evocative imagery is used uh and and everything's described in a way that is very appealing but also like what what? wait what (laughs) circles of headless dogs and cats Yeah, in that sense, it really it, it evokes the same kind of feeling. Now, I'm actually this might be somewhat surprising. I'm not a huge fan of the novel Dracula. I am a huge fan of the opening part with Harker and Dracula's castle, and after that, I kind of lose a bit of interest. Um, oh, so once but, once you exit once you exit the vampire's castle, all interest is lost. Yeah, that, that's, well, that's not a little, all, Mark- but it, it like. <laughs> It's a little Mark. I mean, Fisher maybe that is a little there. predictable, um, but <laughs> no, it, uh, I just feel like that's like the really strong, intense and evocative part. And the rest of it is like so procedural. There are like parts that are really cool, but a lot of it's just like, well, yeah, I mean, I think that Mina fucking around and trying to figure out what's up. And um, I think the, 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 the novel itself starts strongly mainly because um, it is it is banking a lot on the sort of uh, somewhat baked into the roots Orientalism of you know you you've gone to a foreign country uh, there's a castle it's obviously haunted <laughs> you know th- that yeah. type of thing and and so therefore you know you're you're basically doing like a travelogue plus haunted house. Which I mean, honestly, that's a winner. That's a good. That's a good combination. Yeah, it's it's, it's a good good combo. But um, what I was gonna say, so I'm so the one particular part of Dracula that I think is like head and shoulders above any other scene or any other like segment of the rest of the story is where Harker is like accosted by Dracula's wives, and mm. it has the same sense of being like. The way it's described is so repulsive, but also extremely sensual. So it has the same kind of repulsion attraction thing that this story has, takes it and like cranks it up into like to 11. Uh, funny anecdote, I, I uh, related to that scene. I bought um, this little anthology that's uh, excerpts from uh, Victorian erotic writing that for whatever reason also included the... Um, that that section of Dracula <laughs> the, with the vampire wives and Harker. And I've read the whole thing at this point, and it's the least sexually explicit of them, but it is the hottest. <laughs> well, I think it, there, there's a, there's definitely, um, it's one of these things where, I mean, maybe this is, <laughs> this is a little bit of uh, Stoker's own anxieties uh, regarding, you know, uh, being forced to, you know, uh, 
be with women strange women <laughs> yes or women in general you know who knows uh given given you know like the the sort of his uh, very close friendship with oscar wilde i mean i i don't remember if it's like already been pr it's pretty clear that he may have been queer uh he also had like fawning letters to walt whitman um yeah, him and like every other poet at that time, just like they need to get in line, uh, you know, queue up to queue up to speak to Walt. I don't get it. I'm not a Whitman fan. I yeah, I don't know, man. It's it's fine. I, I never, I never, uh, it was never assigned to me, so I never really developed any type of connection to it. So, I mean, it it seems nice, but I guess it was like you know, straight up fire for, for whomever was, you know, his contemporaries <sighs> anyway. Um, so, so yeah, I, I think that the, the really interesting turns here are, uh, in, in, uh, uh, yours is the right to begin is in fact, sort of like that layering in and slowly drawing back, drawing back until we get to the first bride who is the eldest and the first uh, superseding even, you know, supposedly Dracula himself. Uh, and she's the one that is has has been sort of sending her other two uh, protégés to send her messages first. Uh, so it is it is rather, rather well done and, and sort of interesting in that sense that it sort of recontextualizes uh, the the events of Dracula and like the entire sort of like hierarchy of who's really in charge. Right. And it's interesting, too, because it, it does this without really making it's not like a girl boss statement. There's just it's, I, I'm. It's. Which is kind of like you read this and you expect there's like you you would expect someone to make this twist and it's like oh I'm really the first and that's like actually a cool girl boss thing but like it's really not. Um, yeah, she seems um, like the the tone is very different. Uh, it's it's almost like a, a weariness, uh, like this has happened before, you know that type of thing where she's almost expected it to happen, but she's also sufficiently confident in her own power you know her own uh sphere of influence that she doesn't feel this need to be girl bossy about it if that makes sense yeah well i mean she's been kind of brought low anyway as well so she doesn't have kind of the power that she once did um but it's yeah, there's a very like a, like a resignation. Like she she doesn't have a lot in life really um, because Dracula's made it such that um, they say in it. Um, so they kind of say of like her existence, the the first, the second, and the third. Um, it says here in every moment of your existence, you must remember that the physical world is his domain and no longer yours to command. By air alone, you must travel backwards and never forward, never touching ceilings or floors or walls, whether he is there to see you or not. Always you must travel with your ruby eyes, seeing only where you have been, never where you are going, because your destination is nowhere. There is only the past, he says, and we must never forget it. 
We live forever, but for us, there is no future. We are dust and we move as such. And that's just like the creepiest set of images. And the way it's written is has such this like, it's a resignation, but there's also like an intensity to it. But you, you get the sense that she knows she can't change it, but there's like, there's some, I guess, venom beneath it and a little bit of spite. It's really evocative. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 I mean, it, it is, it is, um, it, there, there's a lot of like sense of loss in that, uh, sort of s- series of sentences, you know? Um, but yeah, I, I think, um, maybe we should probably close out on yours is the right to begin and maybe move on to, uh, the last clean, bright summer. Do you have any sure. last thoughts before we move on or was that the, was yeah, that the uh, one? Despite my initial, no, this this was it. Despite my initial trepidation, seeing that it was going to be a Dracula story, um, I I really ended up liking it and thinking it gave a kind of a new look at the story, and it kind of built off it. Like, did it really need to be Dracula? No, but it being Dracula and having the three wives kind of gives you enough shorthand that you don't have to like fuck around explaining the backstory for your, you know you know, OC original character, do not steal vampires <laughs> that wouldn't really serve the story. Actually, I think being able to just use Dracula, who everyone knows has three wives and just go from there without having to set shit up. Great. Actually mm-hmm. a really good choice. I mean, that, uh, so this that's... is my favorite adaptation of Dracula, even though it is not a direct adaptation. <laughs> it is. Uh, I think, I think that, um, to your point, uh, if you're going to use or lean on an existing story uh, to sort of take a shortcut into the type of story that you want to tell, uh, this is how you do it, right? You you sort of assume right. that everyone knows what you're talking about and just go from there. Because uh, you know, and, and there's plenty, plenty to love in this story, mainly because it does also evoke like those old folk tales that you know Dracula itself was evoking way back. Yeah, uh, this when. is the most, the most Angela Carter story in the selection, I would say. Mm-hmm. Um. <laughs> so now we move on to uh, Bloodborne. Uh- <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, basically. Um, like I was like reading this and going like, holy shit, this is like. DLC from Bloodborne. <laughs> uh, yeah, um, yeah. Why don't you uh, Why don't you detail that a little bit? Because I I see I didn't make the connection, but I also haven't played the game. Played the game. I've just watched people play it gotcha. here and there. So uh, why don't you uh, Why don't you go and and summarize this one? So this one's told in epistolary format. Uh, you know, uh, Haley. Uh, I forget the the last name of the girl. Um, if we it get just it says Haley, I don't think Haley, we, ever, yeah. we don't get it. We just get her diary entries, right? And so, um, it, you know, the, the the story starts off already sort of very. There's like tiny hints that something's way off <laughs> because um, uh, what is it? Uh, let me see here. Uh, da, 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 da. Let me see. There's something. S- 
anyway, uh, so Haley's detailing like, oh, this, you know, this is like we're 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 leaving town. We're gonna go uh, sort of like apparently they're moving to uh, some place on the Pacific in the Pacific Northwest. Um, I believe this is like it, it's weird because uh, yeah, she she mentions it's I think it's in Oregon uh, and a community called the Dunes, which. Um, if I'm remembering correctly, was actually the same name of the place where Frank Herbert uh, went to go study, uh, you know, how erosion and sand moves and stuff like that. And that became sort of like a, a, a journalistic story that became sort of like the seeds for Dune, the books. Uh, anyway, um, so, so there was plenty of little... Um, uh, I'm sorry, not uh, Oregon, uh, Washington State. Um, and, and so there's like oh, little oh, that makes some things a little more interesting. I didn't know if that's the case. I didn't know that, and that that's kind of a, a I don't want to say Easter egg because that cheapens it, but kind of an interesting illusion. Yeah, right, right. It's it, and it's again. I think you're right. It's not supposed to be like uh, an Easter egg. That's supposed to be like wink, wink. It's more like yeah, you know, I know where this is, and so on and so forth. And then, um, what was it? Uh, so basically, uh, her brother died, and then they're like, "Well, we're leaving town," and and they had a dog, and the dad just takes the dog behind the shed, and you're like, "Wait, what?" They didn't take the dog. Yeah, with I had them? to reread that like like a couple of times. I was like, wait, wait, oh, I guess he just took her out behind the shed. And like, you know, this isn't a euphemism. This is the actual like. I mean, it's it's exactly a euphemism for exactly what happened. So, uh, the other thing that that uh, started uh, getting me. Um, like another connection or, you know, sort of like thing that you're supposed to think about is. uh the, the second entry where she's talking about like uh, this town is super creepy, but kind of cool in that weird way. Mom says all the geometry of the architecture is wrong and it makes everyone depressed. I have no idea what that means. So, you know, it's funny because that's the way that a teenager would express uh, or, or maybe someone more modern than, than H.P. Lovecraft would express what non-Euclidean geometry <laughs> would look like or something to yeah, that effect. Yeah, that, that was something that kind of like pinged it too. But it's also not not something that's like that far out of the ordinary because we've all looked at like certain city skylines on a dreary day and thought like, oh, this is depressing. This yeah, is like, just like, awful. Well, I mean, even I think Alan Moore even has like a whole theory of like, uh, what is it? Psycho architecture or something like that, where basically the, the architecture of, a, of an area can can sort of um, because of the way it affects the psyche can sort of become like uh, feel malicious or, you know, against you as, as a person, you know, that type of thing. So, yeah, that's St. Louis in February. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, anyway, as, as the story progresses, like things slowly get weirder and weirder. And like, there's a giant, like there's a, a, a specific beach that they gather at. And there's a wall there that, that apparently I, I didn't catch it initially but apparently they build that wall and it's like really big like it's tall like like it's easily like maybe 
a couple hundred feet up that tall and it's built uh by the the men of the the these sort of string of towns that are sort of all interconnected here and so um there's like a a weird beach that it over that the wall is overlooking this time around this summer and uh with black sand and the the waves look like they're way far out but there's something weird about them yeah it's just very um it, it starts ramping up some of the like i think we'd mentioned before like some of that uncanniness starts really edging into yeah. well and you start into, pretty like, early uh, getting into into like no like stuff hanging like something's real fucked up but the first the first part that was like okay like this is the the world is more messed up than previously thought was on i guess like the second page they mention she mentioned seeing two faceless men uh Naked except for black top hats with shimmery pale skin, all scales, I think, or maybe skin like an alligator. So these guys kind of show up a couple times. And that's the first obvious sign that, like, there's something supernatural going on. And then this one on the next page, that gives you a sign that there is something very actually fucked up that's happened to the world, but they don't say exactly what. Where Mm. um, it says... um, Someone at the restaurant they're stopping at says, summer's not over yet. And besides, in the fall, I'm heading down to South America and taking my recipe with me. And then she was all, it's not South America anymore, you idiot. Who do you think is left down there who eats French toast? And she ran off from the bathroom. The cook grew super angry and quiet. And then my dad took him aside, probably to apologize and to tell him mom's all hormonal and everyone down in Obsidia will totally love his secret French toast. So... Something really messed up has happened if South America is not South America anymore. It's Obsidia now, but they never, like, it's never specified what happened. If it was a political upheaval or a a natural disaster, or they just all decided one day to call themselves Obsidia and change their name to something different. But that's the first part that really keys that not only are there, like, supernatural elements that are not normally in the world, but, like, something weird has happened to the world like beyond yeah. the scope of just like introducing uh, these weird alligator skin guys. Yeah. Like beyond that even. Well, so then it gets worse. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, and, and the, the, the moment where I was like, okay, this, okay, this is going to be bad is when, uh, she has like the, uh, like an entry and it's like July 23rd. And then, uh, the next entry is like August 29th. I lost a whole month. And like, she's, she's got an arm in a cat. One of her arms is in a cast and whatnot. And you're like, the fuck? This is not good. Yeah, this <laughs> and is it turns bad. Out, yeah, it, it, it is not good. <laughs> and actually that moment, I do want to talk about it from a structural level because I thought it was like kind of great with, so this is a journal. So the entries are not, they don't have to occur chronologically. They have to occur when ha- Haley wrote them. Mm-hmm. So it allows her to do to do that, you know, July 23rd to August 29th, and then back to July 24th when Haley starts recounting what happened on that day. It lets you put that, like, real, like, obvious foreshadowing that, hey, things are about to get buck. Um, it lets Llewellyn do that in a very, like, 
signposty, blatant way, but it's still, because it's written in journal structure, still very elegant, and it kind of gets you a little more in the mindset of the character of Haley because you're kind of recalling things as she recalls them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, and, but yeah, and, if you tried uh, to do this, this is like a conventional narrative that didn't have the diary structure. If you tried to do this with like a flash forward or something, it would be like total ass. But because it has this journalistic structure, it mm-hmm. works really good. Yeah, like a, a regular feels, like, narrative. Believable. Like a regular narrative, it would feel forced. Like you're trying to pull one over on the reader. And here it makes perfect sense because, like you said, it's it's a journal, you know, and and you're you're already sort of set up for the fact that, you know, a journal, like you said, it can go back and, and recount something that you know or, or yeah, that that happened had already had happened earlier, but but you know it was you know Kaylee might have been too embarrassed to mention or you know what what have you. Um, so anyway, uh, here uh, basically, she she notices that like um, some men knocked on the door and Dad spoke with them for a few minutes and then he changed into his black suit and left. Uh, another thing here is that all the men. Uh, now wear these black suits. It's almost like they all have like the men all have a uniform. Um, he's told, he's told us it's almost time to get a good night's sleep and early tomorrow morning, the men would come for us and the ceremony would begin. And so she freaked out a little, but mom called me down when she poured us both a small glass of wine, my first ever. And then she got all teary eyed again and gave a little speech about how everything was going to change. And tomorrow I was going to become a woman God, so embarrassing, and how she was so proud of me, and that she knew no other, no matter what happened, someday I'd be a wonderful mom. Lot to lay on a kid uh, <laughs> over yeah, their first glass of wine. It's, it turns out that there's a reason for that. Yeah, they don't a lot say this. exactly how old Haley is. Um, I had her sort of pegged at like kind sixteen. Of squeaky. Yeah, yeah like I was thinking, I'm like, so. I'm gonna, I'm gonna assume like 16 or 17, maybe as old as 18, but like she's a teenager, definitely. Yeah, 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 yeah. She, she definitely comes across as sort of like a, a teenager, like, like teenager selves. You know, like I, I remember my teenagers. You thought you knew everything. It's like, oh, roll your eyes at everything, but you, you do shit about shit, and yep. uh, sadly, Haley finds this out very very in a very bad way <laughs> um so when she um basically uh, realizes that you know she's lost an entire month um she recounts exactly you know what happened in that time right so the next day uh yeah she has a cast on her arm and she recounts that the next day they woke up Apparently, her mom had drugged the the wine that they had, and they they're being lowered down to the shore from the wall, uh, in these long cages. Uh, that um, you know that basically once they touch the sand, they're allowed to uh, get out of, and but there's like a gigantic like like several times as large as a whale woman ish creature 
like a mermaid-ish type of creature on the shore of the of the beach on the black sand. And she's you know sort of still somewhat alive but completely beached. And it becomes clear that uh, this is this is uh, the Bloodborne DLC. <laughs> yeah, it's the Bloodborne DLC. Mother Mother Koss or perhaps Cossum uh, uh, is you know, beached on the on the shore there. But um, apparently, as they the the women are all sort of like let out of the cages, and the men are all sort of standing up on the wall watching this. Um, it becomes clear that there are some other creatures that have sort of like uh, hidden within the folds of, on the, the, the woman yeah, on the woman. And it's like the male of the species that has ridden on her, uh, you know, to the surface because they're just waiting for her eggs to, to hatch so that they can spawn. Uh, and so the, the whole idea here becomes clearer as things progress that all of the women folk are sent there as like a way to keep the newly born. And I think that there's, there's also like a, um, a, 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 uh, a dimorphism where the, the eggs only ever produce uh, women. So the, 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 the giant mermaid God S whatever, uh, basically her eggs only produce women, uh, but only through the new women that the, the community takes in that hatch from these eggs, can they have men? So what happens is that basically all the women that have been lowered down there are essentially decoys. To lure all those, uh, I guess, Innsmouth men <laughs> yeah. away from the eggs, and um, in 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 bad ways because like Haley is just basically raped repeatedly by one of the you know humanoids from the deep. Uh, <laughs> God, what an awful movie! Um, yeah. Anyway. <laughs> oh God. Like, like, just, just brutally. Yeah, oh, trigger like, warning for like this oh, entire yes. book, by the way. But, yes. um, like, uh, this is just like, Jesus Christ, what the fuck, man? Like, it was just, it's bad. Yeah, you it's know, bad. this is the first time I read it. I didn't quite catch that the women were really just decoys, so they could take the eggs that would like hatch the. Yeah, it's. I, I mean, they they also help like take the eggs, but yeah, they um. It's not great. It's um Yeah, I mean it's it's, it's weird because bad, bad time. It's it's like almost like this weird um they they want a certain type of purity in the new uh the new crop of uh mating, you know, opportunities or oh, I don't even know what the like the new women have to be pure in that way, you know. And to, I guess for the for the women that they send down, because they they have been like either born of other women or what have you, that they're considered sort of like maybe not as valuable. I don't know. It, it's just very weird. And also the the other thing that was just very shocking and off putting was that you know one of the things that they notice uh, that that Haley notices when all of this is going down. 
and she finally gets the guy the, the the thing off of her and basically you know like it shrivels up and dies um and she saves her mom or whatever uh she looks up and all the men on the wall basically have their pants it. down and just like yeah they're they're jerking it like in mass like just looking down and smiling like they're getting off on all this and it's like ugh, god what the fuck is going on man Anyway, uh, yeah. yeah. So, so as you can imagine, I'm this sure. Does like, not- if I was, if I felt like it, I could like bullshit some political commentary that this is clearly about. But I don't really think it is, and uh, I, I don't think it's fruitful to look at it this way. I don't know that it's like an allegory for something. But anyway, go ahead. No, I, I, I mean, I, I do think that there is some, you know, sort of metaphor or and or allegory happening here. But it's it's so um, well, I think well buried under the the, just the story itself that and and it's it's vague enough uh like it's both vague and concrete enough for it to be it's like it is what it is and you can sort of interpret it uh but but it doesn't feel like Llewellyn's trying to give me like a a capital m message right yeah it's it's not moralizing yeah yeah and and like the way that Haley sort of takes this sadly in stride feels just like she's she's just super wary super tired um just like not trusting no longer trusting of anyone or any you know like any especially any of the men but you know like to think that your own mom, you know, helped with this. It's gotta be fucked up too, you know? Um, yeah. Like there, there is that moment near the end where she's like, Oh, don't think I, I don't notice that suddenly all the boys that, you know, had been so scarce you know, up until that point in the summer suddenly are flocking around me, you know, to, to sort of like, because they know that she's pregnant now, and that she's going to produce a boy and you know like even even the the person that she called her father you know she's caught him like looking at her in certain ways and she just like makes sure that she's not in a situation where he's ever alone with her ever again like like that is so bleak yeah I, i don't even know what to do with that like and it makes perfect sense. That's the thing, right? Right. And the thing that I was actually interesting about this story, I just got curious. Um, anytime I think a book will be um, divisive or people will have strong reactions to, which I don't know how you could read this book and not have some kind of strong reaction to, I go on Goodreads and see how much, see how long and how much punishment I could take, which is usually not a lot. And just go, um, just go straight for those enough, three those three stars. <laughs> well, those are usually boring. Oddly enough, the story that people mentioned liking the most was actually this one. And mm-hmm. I think maybe it's just because it has a more like conventional narrative structure, like stuff happens. It has it has a stuff happens plot compared to a lot of the other ones. I can see um, that, yeah. And the language, since it's written like a teenager's journal, is more straightforward. 
Mm -hmm. um, which I appreciated in this because I don't think this story would have worked if she'd written it in the same uh, kind of elevated register as like, say, yours is the right to begin or one of the other stories in the book. Um, I think that that was a wise choice to, to tone it down significantly, but I think that's probably why most people that seemed to be the one that people reacted the most favorably to, which is also why I wanted to talk about it in particular. Um, Mm -hmm. Because compared to a lot of the other stories, it is the most conventionally story-shaped. Right, right. I do, I do love how it ends, though. I, I, you know, this is like one of the better lines in in this story is right at the end, and and she saves it for right at the end, which is you know, uh like the last paragraph more or less is you know like basically she's saying that you know everyone's keeping an eye on her because they know they know that she's going to give them a, a a strong a strong boy um and yeah everyone wants a good catch or maybe they're just pretending maybe they're keeping track of me like they were on the wall maybe they're afraid of what I'll do to them if their backs are turned what I'll do to them like the the wave of a hard ocean storm someday and that's chef's kiss honestly like it's really good i guess this is maybe kind of a i mean it's definitely a feminist statement in a story but i don't think it beats you over the head with the interpretation yeah but, uh, i think i think it, it wisely lets you imagine uh you know what the revenge uh, arc would look like but but does not give it to you uh, which I feel is much more effective in this type of thing, right? You need to see what happened before you can sort of envision like a, like even a revenge fantasy. Yeah. Um, anyway, uh, any last thoughts for, um, the last clean, bright summer? Uh, also another banger, uh, definitely the most, kind of conventional in terms of structure and language. So I think it's the easiest one to read, but um, yeah, I think, I think Bloodborne is, is an apt comparison. If you like that kind of vibe, uh, you will enjoy this one. It's, it's a good one. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. All right. So um, let's move on to, and love shall have no dominion. So uh, I'm gonna. I'm gonna I fucking confess. love this story. This is my favorite <laughs> one in the collection. Interesting, uh, other- because I think I'm gonna confess that uh, th- there are parts of this that are just inspired, but this I don't know that I like this one very much, Maddie. <laughs> uh, it, it, I think this is the one that that evades uh, interpretation, even because I'm not entirely sure exactly what's happening either uh and it's structured no, and like i love a, it and it's it's great uh it's uh i i'm a grown adult i'm not a little baby i don't mean the story to tell me what it means <laughs> well i think um, uh, yeah i i don't i don't want to say that i needed it to tell me what it means uh it's it's obvious that there is like some sort of something happening like the same things happening over and over and over again uh, but it's also like weirdly structured at the beginning, like a Craigslist uh, missed connections ad. Mm-hmm. But like, 
was it Craigslist Hell? <laughs> and you're like, yeah, what? it's Craigslist Hell, District Unknown, per- District Unknown, Personals, Misconnections, D4HF, which I assume is Demon for Human Female. Mm. That would explain. Um, it. Yeah, date unknown. So I think almost all of these are date un. You know, some of these are not date unknown. A lot of them are date unknown. Some of them have particular dates. Uh, Saturday, well, I- October twenty third seems to be the. Yeah, I think that that's the that's the that's the moment in time that uh, the 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 protagonist, or if you want to call them that, the demon of the story uh, returns to because it's. uh, I think that's when um, they meet uh, the the human female uh, on the wreckage of the Catalina or whatever. Yeah. But so, so I guess, why don't you, um, walk me through your sort of like the way that you approach the story, because I, I'm, I'm interested given the fact that, uh, even though there are, like I said, there are p- parts of this that are, you know, like inspired, uh, writing. I, I had difficulty sort of like piecing things together, um, like, and it's tough because I understand also that it's supposed to be like they're returning and remaking and sort of revisiting this same moment in time and perhaps even remaking that moment. So reproducing it every time that they return to that period in time. So it, it, it will end up being somewhat, uh, difficult for all the edges to fit together. But at the same time, it, it didn't feel, I don't know, I didn't feel super satisfied by sort of figuring that out either. And it was like, okay. Oh, I didn't even interpret it that way. I just let the vibes carry me. I did not try to interpret this story for a moment. <laughs> well, you know, I um, guess maybe that's that's my that's my writer brain that's always like some at some level, it's always on, man. Always on. But uh, so, so yeah, like, so you just sort of like went in. I interpreted it more as, as memories than any sort of back and forth necessarily. Um, Just revisiting the memory and tweaking the memory, not actually changing anything in reality. At least that was Mm -hmm. how I kind of parsed that. Uh, I could be wrong. And uh, maybe I'm just really stupid, which is within the realm of possibility. But um so this one was very much prose carried for me because that's really what there is. There's not really much of a conventional narrative. What's there is actually hard to understand exactly what's going on or sometimes even what time frame mm-hmm. we're in because other than Saturday, October 23rd, it's all date unknown for everything else. Um, yeah, each and, of the kind of Craigslist entries has a little, little title i i guess i kind of thought that it was maybe the demon like tweaking these memories until things were like worse and worse and worse in order to first like oppress and then possess the hmm. uh the human female um 
like it's like the very first one it says human star are you my gate to the world so i think actually now that i'm just thinking about this right now again this is totally like off the cuff something i realized because i'm i was sober when i read this and i'm high now (laughs) (laughs) is um it seems like so a lot of a lot of it's a possession story is actually what it is that's it um a lot of possession stories will use this idea that uh, in order for a demon to possess a person, they have to be like emotionally and spiritually and psychologically like broken down. So I think the these changing of these either the memories or the actions themselves and just like warping things is the demon trying to like get into like the the woman to basically possess her. Um I, I think that's actually what's going on. I could see that, yeah. But he's also I, imagining yeah, that he like that. is in love with her. Yeah, like there there is something that is drawing this demon to this woman. Um and yeah, like he he is I, I do think that's that's definitely a way to to approach the story that makes a lot of sense because he, he's able to sort of possess her physically, right? Because there's there's right. several instances here where, you know, basically, you know, they're 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 fucking or they're or he's raping the woman. Who knows? Uh, I'm not entirely sure. I'm gonna guess probably raping because it's a demon. <laughs> Do demons like consent? I, mean, I don't know. I probably not. I mean <laughs> yeah. I don't yeah, no. Uh they're they're definitely if it is not um it doesn't make it clear one way exactly it's it's written in a very violent sense so you think that it's maybe not consensual but then it also you're reading through a demon's pov it's it's but it's it's very odd um uh but it's definitely written in like a very eroticized way so like i think it's supposed Mm -hmm. to be hot as much as it's supposed to be like disgusting yeah yeah i mean it, it it sort of reminds me um some of the 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 passages the way that they're written remind me of uh some of the the weirdo uh psychosexual weirdo sex like the weird psychosexual stuff in like something like jacob's ladder where you're supposed to be repulsed but also somewhat aroused you know by reading it because it's like it's sort of hot but also there's like demon wings suddenly sprouting on this person's back and you're like "Mm." I don't know. <laughs> that doesn't look. Oh, bad. that just uh, that makes it hotter, right? Well, I mean, like, uh, or, or like, uh, have you ever seen the, uh, Jacob's Ladder, uh, Maddie? No, I haven't actually. Oh, it's uh, it's it's not it's not uh, very hot in the conventional sense. I, I would say that uh, it has uh, uh, Elizabeth Pena in in it, and she's hot, and she is Tim Robbins's uh, characters, like live-in girlfriend or whatever uh you know they, they they've been they've been sleeping together for a long time and and it feels that way you know it's just sort of like they, they feel natural and it it feels very uh sensual in a very uh everyday sort of way right uh so that when you get this wild party scene 
where you know, I'm sort of describing where she's like dancing, but there's like a weird sort of like entity behind her and it sort of like scrapes her thigh, like it bunches up her, like supposedly we're, we're not sure if this is actually happening or this is what, you know, uh, Tim Robbins's character who's freaking out is seeing uh, in his freak out, but you know, it bunches up her, her skirt and like scrapes her, uh, like her her thigh with a, a weird malformed wing and leaves like a trail of black goo on her leg. You're like, Ugh. so yeah, it, it's supposed By, to be like you mean hell yeah, right? Well, I mean it, it's Elizabeth Payne, yeah, you know, but also you're like, uh, could could you wipe that off? I don't know, man. <laughs> it's it's fine. It's 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 supposed to be both at the same time, and I I feel like this is the same sort of feeling, right? This idea that, um, I mean, yeah, bodies are gross. Uh, what bodies do together is gross, but also it's hot. Yep. So yeah. Anyway, um. So yeah, I, I, I it, it's also written uh, because it's written in from the 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 demons POV. It a lot of these entries feel very ranty. Yeah, like, like it's extended, just like on one, like the, yeah, like <laughs> but that makes sense because it's a Craigslist ad and people are on one in Craigslist like ads. It's true. It's true. So it's another um, one. I think. I think that if you if you actually really think about like Craigslist ads and like weird sex, I think that's that's the best way to kind of like parse this story is through that lens of weird like horny Craigslist posts by perverts who suck. Yeah, I mean it. It, it is. It is sort of interesting because it does. I think it's. It's. For me, maybe it's exactly that it's almost too, too good a, too good an, an emulation like of, art. Yeah, yeah, like, like, like what, what a Craigslist, uh, you know, sort of like weird misconnections ad would look like. <laughs> Just very one sided. And you're like, you know, it, it suffers from, from, for me at least, it suffered a little bit from that, uh, where oaken hearts do gather <laughs> conundrum where it's like, yeah, this is a good, uh, this is a good sort of like emulation of that format, but also people in that format are really annoying. <laughs> it's like, I know that's what I, I loved about it though, because I feel like I'm like, I felt like I was watching like someone's like really just like unhinged posts mm -hmm. in real time. And it actually felt like unhinged posts, unlike uh, the Oaken Hearts Do Gather posts, which were like not no. They, they were like not that normal polite. on the internet. They were yeah, they're they're polite. a little too polite no, people, with each other. Yeah, <laughs> no th one's this, calling anyone else slurs yeah, or yeah. Uh, uh, anything like that. It, it it was it didn't work for me. This works for me a lot more. They're like weird capitalizations, parts where it's like. The, the demon seems to have just like key smashed a little bit. Mm -hmm. Yep, yep. It's yep. so good. I fucking love it. And the vibe well, is just, all, it has the all, worst vibes. Goes from all caps to key smash. So, yes, very good. Yeah. It has, it, it is plot. I don't know. I don't fucking know what the plot of this story is. Vibes, uh, extreme, and they're fucked. They're fucked vibes. Uh, this, this story, like, <laughs> 
I lost it when I first read this story. I felt like my brain was melting, but like in a good way. And uh, it is actually my favorite in the collection, uh, just in terms of having that effect on me. Um, maybe it is. It, maybe it makes more sense if you're the type of person who will also scroll like worst of Craigslist because the Schadenfreude of seeing like people absolutely like losing their shit posting like kind of makes you feel better. I don't know. It it did something for me, and I I. I, I wanted to see what it would do for you because I was like, Carlo is either going to like absolutely hate me or just be very confused. I, I, I mean, didn't think you were going to like it, to be honest. No, it's, but it, I, I had to talk about it. it. I, I, you know, I, I'm, I'm actually sort of glad that I read it because I do think that this is the type of thing that once you figure it, like figure the joke out or the context out, it, it you know, like rereadings will reward you, right? But, but this, that first read was just, it was just a little rough for me because I was like, okay, what's going on? And th there's so much thrown at you. And uh, I, you know, like it's, it's one of these things where I wasn't entirely sure if I'm supposed to, uh, sort of like, uh, construct what is happening, you know, from what, like the, the many different signals that I'm being given, uh, by Llewellyn in the writing, uh, or if I'm just simply supposed to accept and, and sort of like roll with it. And I guess the more fruitful approach would have been yours, Maddie, and probably just roll with it. Uh, but then again, you know, uh, sometimes I just can't, can't let go of that writer brain. Just can't let go. Uh, but yeah, uh, like I do think that that upon rereading, this might be uh, a lot more fun to to sort of just like pick apart and see why why things that why the things that did work for me worked uh, and and why you know other things did not uh, simply to to see you know exactly why my reaction was what it was the first time around. Yeah, I think it also has like probably some of the most grotesque imagery in the entire thing, but also some of the most aggressively sexual. And it's, it doesn't give you a lot of space between the two of them sometimes. And uh, Llewellyn also, God bless her, is not afraid to just uh, use four letter C words for anatomy. And um, mm -hmm. thank God, because everything else just annoys me, honestly. That's uh, something I, I wanted to praise Llewellyn for. It's like, oh, you're not even writing like traditional erotica by any means, but like horror stay winning because apparently erotic horror writers are better than regular erotica or romance writers at writing stuff that's hot. Well, you don't, you're not partial to, you know, naughty waffle or <laughs> <laughs> mafia dons. I don't know. <laughs> I'm not. But yeah, anyway, uh, do we have any last thoughts on um, our, what is the name of this? Uh, and Love Shall Have No Furnace. Dominion. Oh yeah, And Love Shall Have No Dominion. Sorry, I thought you were talking about the entire collection. Yeah, <laughs> and Love Shall Have uh, No, it's just one. I think, I think anyone that reads it, either they will vibe with it or they will hate it. And maybe some people will be like, I hate it, but I'll give it a chance again and like it later. And others will be like, no, this is just like not it. 
But uh, to me, it was very much it. It was fire. And uh, I, I think uh, I think it is my favorite in the collection. Hmm. Interesting. All right. Yeah, especially because well, it's, it's probably the one that you would think, like, just just by by premise would be the one that I would be least into. Because hmm. n- normally anything this online would not not do it for me. But something about how just like aggressive it was really, uh, really captured me. <laughs> just the the aggro, uh, the, the aggro short story in the collection. Yeah. Yeah. It's the one that's like, it's the guy that comes up and is like, fight me, like really amped clearly on something. That's this story. It's the meth head who wants to scrap. And I love it. (laughs) Excellent. All right. So, um, I guess we should probably, uh, start wrapping up and, uh, I guess, uh, any last thoughts in general? I mean, uh, apart from go check out Livio Llewellyn stuff, uh, go check out Furnace. Yeah, it's, a, um, it's, it's a rather slim it's, collection. It's, yeah, it's it's not a very thick collection. Most of the stories are actually on the shorter side as well. But um, definitely they really slap. You get a bunch of different flavors of very, very bizarre um, horror and erotica. Because they, they're, they're, the stories kind of range between pure horror. There's a couple of those that are they're just horror stories. Uh, like one or two that's just pure erotica and then a lot of them that kind of like sit in the middle with erotic horror so if you like that kind of thing like I've not I've not read anything I thought was better than this um, in that sort of niche um, though yeah as we've kind of discussed there, there are a lot of trigger warnings that apply for this um, so if you're someone who has something that you're particularly particularly sensitive to, there's a good chance that it is in this collection and you should like maybe double check beforehand for, you know, see if you want to want to deal with that or not. Um, a lot of the common ones are going to apply. Uh, so definitely a, uh, uh, because I'm a responsible person, I wouldn't recommend this to anyone under 18 kind of deal here. <laughs> Although you should totally read it. It, it, it's good. Yeah, read it's read great. what you want when you when you can get your hands on it, but uh, but yeah, uh, just yeah, like honestly, <laughs> uh, but yeah, like I'll I'll say that um, that I I I I really enjoyed reading these um, these different stories. Uh, I think that there's a little bit of everything uh, for different people in these even these three stories so you know and that's just three out of uh, how many stories total is is like 12 i think with 10 10 or 10. 12 um, um hold on 14 there's 14 stories actually okay i mean i mean still like this is just three stories out of 14 and and they have like a nice range to them i feel um mm-hmm. so i i do think that it's worth people's while to go check uh her writing out uh for some of the reasons that we've already discussed but you know generally speaking is simply she's she's just very good uh like her her, her prose is immaculate it's yeah like uh, on a sentence to sentence level i think it's very good um in any case uh i do want to thank you for sort of like prodding me to read these uh maddie um and uh 
Yeah, I'll I'll recommend this on forward to other people who dig horror, uh, including our listeners out there. Uh, Maddie, do you, did you want to uh, talk a little bit about uh, is is the pod hand still on hiatus or are you guys uh, planning on? Yeah, we're we're trying to try, trying to figure that out. Um, I'm I'm not going to speak on that, but. Um, yeah, eventually, hopefully, we should be returning. And uh, the pod hand is the podcast I co-host with J.R. Bolt and Kay Halloran about Berserk. Um, currently on hiatus. Yes. Well, I mean, there are the, the two episodes that are out there. Uh, and There's so, four. Some... There's four of them. Well, there you go. I, I stand corrected. Uh, four episodes already in the can that you can listen to about the late great Kintaro Muira's, uh masterwork berserk, and uh, go listen to those and 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 you know perhaps clamor a little bit more online about when the next one's coming out. No, don't don't do that. <laughs> <laughs> don't do that. <laughs> oh, I might actually. You might. I wouldn't. I wouldn't mind. Um. <laughs> You can also find me at Devil's Doorbell underscore on Twitter if you want to see my tweets. They're mostly stupid, but you might find something of interest there. And if you would like to read my original fiction, um, you can download. I have three stories on my uh, itch.io store, which is Devil's Doorbell no underscore dot itch dot io. And you can Download those for free or toss me a buck if you want. <laughs> Excellent. All right. Well, thanks again for, for coming on and and uh, discussing these with me. Uh, and for giving me an excuse to read a little bit more of uh, Llewellyn's work. Um, and uh, obviously, we'll, we'll, be, we'll keep in touch. Uh, y- y- I'm, I'm guessing you'll be back soon. <laughs> Uh, oh, I hope so. It's always a delight. Well, if anything, we we definitely have a, a, a an open seat for you at the next Nebula and or Hugo uh, predictions episode. But that's a ways away. Um, in any case, folks, thanks for listening in. Go check out Livia Llewellyn's work, specifically Furnace. Uh, check out the three stories that we discussed today. But I also want to thank you for listening in. And we'll catch you next time here at Graveside. <laughs>